Today's reading is Romans 5, 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is one of many images that sends shockwaves across the world when the communist regime of Romanian dictator Nicolae Ceausescu collapsed in 1989. As one writer put it, in an effort to increase Romania's population and self-sufficiency, Ceausescu declared abortion illegal and mandated that families have four more children. As a result, the population swelled, but many families were left unable or unwilling to care for their children. Orphanages began to fill up with children who had been bred to work. By the time Romania's communist dictatorship collapsed in 1989, over 100,000 children were housed in these state-run institutions. What the world uncovered in these orphanages was horrific, an unabashed neglect of emotional and intellectual needs. With up to 20 children per one caregiver, infants spent as many as 20 hours a day unattended, staring up at the ceiling from their cribs. The first time Nathan Fox, Ph.D., stepped into a Romanian orphanage, he was struck by the silence. The most remarkable thing about the infant room was how quiet it was, probably because the infants had learned that their cries were not responded to, says Fox, who directs the Child Development Laboratory at the University of Maryland. The babies laid in cribs all day, except when being fed, diapered, or bathed on a set schedule. They weren't rocked or sung to. Many stared at their own hands, trying to derive whatever stimulation they could from the world around them. Basically, these kids were left on their own, Fox says. The devastating outcome of these Romanian orphanages punctuated the reality that caring for physical needs alone is not enough for a person to thrive. There's a deep, ingrained need for human relationship, for love to thrive and to develop emotionally and intellectually. Even our brains and nervous systems require love to develop properly. So why am I sharing this with you today? Because this need for love is also vital for spiritual development, for spiritual maturity. There's a need to be sure of God's love in order for us to develop spiritually, for us to mature spiritually. 
I mean, think about, there's a text in Ephesians 3 where Paul is writing to the Christians at Ephesus, and he prays for them that they might know the height and the breadth and the depth of, of Christ's love for them, of God's love for them. And why, why is that? Because he says, listen to verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is language for spiritual maturity. That's a synonym for spiritual maturity. Paul is connecting our realization, our being sure of God's love with spiritual maturity, with spiritual development. I've often wondered how many of our struggles, whether they're emotional or spiritual, relational, psychological, physical, might find their solution in grasping God's love for us. So how can you know that God loves you? How can you be sure of that? How can you become increasingly confident in God's love so that you grow into the person he's designed you to be? Well, that's what I want to explore with you this morning. It's part of the the focus that I introduced last week for our new year that I've titled A Beautiful Risk. And the risk is to see where love takes you, to see where love takes me, to see where love takes us. And I described it in an email that I sent you on our online platform, our communication platform called The City, and then I spent last Sunday in a very personal message that I gave, which is, if you're curious at all, we do put it on a podcast, in which I introduced this beautiful risk and what are the topics I'd like to explore this year. So I laid out essentially all of 2017 last week. And what I suggested to you last week was that this beautiful risk involves three main risks. There's the risk to let God love you. There's the risk to love God. And then there's the risk to love your neighbor. And so what I'd like to begin to focus on this month, and we're going to do a month on each one of those, is the risk to let God love you. And so it raises the question, how can you be sure of God's love? How can you be sure of God's love? Do you answer that question by looking at your life circumstances? As I reflect on the circumstances of my life, I I realize I was fortunate to grow up in a family where, where I was loved and where I was nurtured and where I was given opportunities to develop as a person. I have a very distinct memory of being assigned to a very large antique wooden rocking chair in my parents' bedroom with the mandate that my freedom to enjoy my summer outside with my friends depended upon my willingness to read Moby Dick. (laughs) Not the comic book, but the one that was written by Herman Melville and has all the words on pages. And I distinctly remember that was as a fourth grader. Now, at the time, I thought that was cruel and unusual punishment. I protested quite a bit. But I realize now that my mom believed that lifelong readers are more inclined to reach their potential. And so she gave me that gift of being a lifelong reader. 
And it has taken me into worlds that I could never travel to, places and people that I could never meet in a hundred lifetimes because of reading. But I also reflect on three decades of, in my current vocation as a pastor. And along the way, I've met some wonderful people, I've had some wonderful conversations, and I've had wonderful opportunities with some wonderful people. But those moments have also been frequently overshadowed by long seasons of disorientation, where I've wondered if what, if anything, God was up to. And I found it hard to reconcile God's love and presence with the brutal treatment I've received from people who claim to know God and to be loved by God. Where was God's love and the evil I've experienced? And I can tell you I have experienced some evil that does not compare to all the non-Christians that I've been around. So looking at my vocational experiences, I might have reason to question God's love. So which is it? Which circumstances do I look at if I'm going to judge God's love by my circumstances? Which ones do I choose? See, I'm simply suggesting that it's easy to look at your circumstances or the circumstances of someone you love or you care about or or to look at the systemic evil that's in the world. And in doing that, it's very easy to remain unsure of God's love. So how can you be sure of God's love? Well, this morning I want to offer you something from Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. So I want to invite you to turn. There's a Bible underneath your seat. It's uh, page 942 in that. Romans 5, if you have a Bible app on your phone. In Romans 5, we heard it read to us this morning, Paul reveals two ways to be sure of God's love. Two ways to be sure of God's love. The first way is a demonstration, and the second way involves a pouring out. And that comes from the words that he uses in Romans chapter 5. So one is a demonstration, the other is a pouring out. So Romans 5, page 942, verse 6, Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love. There it is. For us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He shows his love. He demonstrates. Some of your translations may say demonstrate. The word that is used there means to exhibit. It it can even even mean prove, that God proves his love. That's, That's the word that Paul chooses here. So according to the Bible, God's love is demonstrated. God's love is proven in his giving, his giving. And you say, well, yeah, that's so fundamental. I mean, think about probably the most famous verse that, that appears on TV all the time, John 3.16. And it's, it's the one verse that people that don't even have a Christian background are often familiar with. And it says, for God loved the world so much that he gave. Yeah, there's more to that verse, but stop at the giving part because it connects loving and giving. God's demonstrated his love. He gives. He is the giver. But Paul goes one step further, and he answers the question, how much does God love us? 
And he answers the question by saying you can know, you can answer that by how much the love costs the giver and how undeserving the recipient of the love is. See, human love is typically demonstrated by giving costly gifts to someone we deem is worthy. Now, if you've been watching television during the Christmas time, how many of you can hear that Lexus jingle in your head? That thing just drove me nuts. It seems like throughout all the sports that I watched over the Christmas break, every football game, every other commercial was a Lexus commercial. I just wanted to scream after a while. I did do the mute after a while. I can hear it now, but I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, It's like Chinese water torture. But the message of that is what? If there's someone really special in your life, then you need to demonstrate how special they are by buying them a Lexus at Christmas. My wife is here. What happened, honey? (laughs) And Paul goes on, he says that that people will, will rarely give their lives for someone And if they do, they will do it because they believe that person is worthy, worthy of their sacrifice. My wife and I were watching this week a Netflix documentary uh, titled Brothers in War. And it was about, it was a fascinating documentary. It was about the last full company called Charlie Company that was inserted into the Vietnam War. And they largely fought down in the Delta area, which was just an absolute mess down there. But fascinating documentary because they were interviewing, not only were they showing you know, footage from that, but also they were interviewing the men, you know, kind of current day and their reflections on it and the complexities involved with fighting and while the protests were going on at home. And one of the things that struck me as we were watching this was just their willingness to sacrifice for each other because they had become brothers throughout this. They were a full company, they had stayed together, and they had become brothers, and so there was this willingness to exhibit tremendous courage and to sacrifice for each other. And Paul recognizes that in this text. He says, <clears throat> we might lay down our life for someone, but only on the basis of our believing that that person is worthy of our sacrifice. But Paul goes on to say, here's how God's love is unique. He gives He gave his most costly, his most precious gift, his son, to a humanity that was undeserving, that was not worthy of his sacrifice. In other words, he didn't offer this love after humanity turned to him. After humanity turned to him and cleaned up their act. After humanity put in a lot of effort to really kind of become moral. Paul says it didn't happen that way at all. Paul says that God gave his love while we were turned away from him. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly, people who were turned away, people who had missed the mark, and people who were powerless to do anything. It says that we were weak, we were powerless to change our condition. Paul says, that's when God demonstrated his love. So how can you and I be sure of God's love? Paul says here that God gave his only son 
for me and for you. And he did this openly in human history. And it's been explained through Jesus and through the apostles. So when your circumstances are dark, when your doubts feel like they are overwhelming, when the brokenness of the world presses in on you, this historical reality can anchor you. And I can testify to this, that in the midst of tremendous seasons of dark circumstances, when it was easy to perhaps look at my circumstances and to draw a conclusion about God's love, it was this historical reality that anchored me, looking away from my circumstances and to this act of God in human history in which he gave this costly sacrifice of his son. And he says in that sacrifice, this is my love for you. This is my love for you. God really loves you. He really loves me. He's demonstrated it in history. You got it? I mean, at least you understand what I'm saying. It's an historical reality. It happened in history. See, the fact is, for those of you who are sitting out there and you're skeptical, you're not, you're going, I'm not sure about that. The reality is that historians, Jewish or otherwise, know that there was a man named Jesus and know that he was crucified and there was ample eyewitnesses to say that he was raised from the dead. Now, what that means is an act of interpretation. Right? You can say, well, he's just a Jewish guy that died and yeah, there was eyewitnesses, but I don't believe him. Fine. But this testimony interprets that and part of the interpretation says it means that God loves the world. He loves you and he loves me. Second way. Another way to be sure of God's love is found in verse 5 of chapter 5. It says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God pours out his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. See, you might realize that God loves you because of what you look at history and you realize that God has given this costly gift of, his, of himself, of his son, Jesus. He's personally come in human flesh to be our substitute, to redeem us so that we might share in the life of God. And you might realize that, that that's what that historical act is all about. But knowing this intellectually is not all there is to God's love. See, we're meant to experience this. We're meant to experience this. We're meant to have an experience of God's love. And God is ready and waiting to pour it out into our hearts. That's what verse 5 says. The image of the language of pouring out is like a rain shower that that soaks parched land. Do we have any familiarity with that? (laughs) In our area, five years of drought and all this rain comes down and you look at the ground and the ground is just soaking it up. And say, If you could hear the ground talking, it would say what? Thank you. This is great. I'm enjoying this. It's not even running off now. It's just been this beautiful soaking, gradually soaking in and receiving of this wonderful rain that nourishes the ground. And that image is the same type of image that Paul is using of, this, of the Spirit pouring out love into our hearts. 
So one of the main roles of the Spirit of God is to make us deeply and refreshingly aware that God loves us. And it's not reserved for a select few. It's not reserved for people who are super spiritual or super Christians. Because if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who has, has turned to Jesus, turned and trusted him with their life, who now is at peace with God through Jesus, they are the recipients of the Spirit's work of pouring out. So if you, take, if, you, if you have turned to Jesus and you try to take yourself out of this saying, no, that I'm the exception to the rule, that's not true. The Spirit of God wants to pour out his love in your heart and in mine. It's for all who put their trust in Jesus. And it's not simply a one-off experience either. It happens the moment you place your trust in Jesus, but it's also meant to be continuing as well. And how do I know that? Because Paul uses the perfect tense in the Greek, and it's something that has happened in the past, and it continues into the future. There's ongoing results. And so Paul is very careful to point that out. He says, know what happened the moment you put your trust in Jesus. I, I have, the opportunities I've had at times to, to introduce people to Jesus, and when they, when they place their trust in Jesus at that moment in time, it's always fun to say so what does that feel like? I'll ask people that. What does that feel like? And like nine times out of ten, they will say, I feel lighter. I feel lighter. And why is that? Because the love of the Spirit has been poured out into their heart and it frees them of the burdens that they're carrying around in life. The burden of trying to prove themselves, the burden of trying to create an identity for themselves, the burden of showing the world that they matter. And when the Spirit pours out His love in your heart, all you're freed of that stuff, and, you're, and, and you have this sense that your identity is wrapped up in what God says about you through Jesus, and He says, you belong to me. I love you. And that's all you need. Seriously, that's all you need is to know and to experience the love of God. So how might you actually experience this? Just very briefly, I want to give you four ways. I want to suggest four ways to let God love you that involve the Spirit, all right? Four ways. The first, it's behind me on the screen. First of all, the Spirit personalizes the Bible's teaching about God's love for us. The Spirit personalizes the Bible's teaching about God's love for us. What do I mean by that? Well, as you read the Bible and you come across the character of God and the actions of God and the words of Jesus and you see Jesus' love for people, then what can happen in that as you're reading that is the Spirit of God can say to you, yes, there is my love and that love is for you too. This is who I want to be toward you. That's why we're, I, I've, asked, I've invited you to read the Gospels uh, over uh, this year. Because as you read the Gospels, you see Jesus' love again and again for people. And, and the Spirit of God wants to say to you, that's, that's my love for you as well. So I want to suggest to you that it would be really helpful to let God love you through exposing yourself to Scripture. 
So it makes sense to saturate yourself in God's word. Second way I want to suggest to you that you might actually experience this is the Spirit helps us to relate to God personally through prayer. The Spirit helps us relate to God personally through prayer. In Romans 8, 15, and 16, it talks about the, Spirit, uh, the Spirit's role, and it talks about God, God calling us His children, that in bringing us into relationship to Him, the Spirit helps us to know that we belong to God, that He is our Father, and that we are His children. And He testifies to that fact that we belong to God, that we are part of that family. And it involves prayer, and it's in prayer that, that, that the Spirit of God wants us to realize that, that God is our Father, that we can call Him our Father, and that we are His children in whom He delights. He delights in us. And so I'm suggesting to you to let God love you through prayer. As you pray, let God love you in that prayer. Third way, the Spirit assures us of God's love in difficult circumstances. The Spirit assures us of God's love in difficult circumstances. In Romans 5, 3 to 5, the the context, as we heard read to us this morning, is one of suffering and trials. And what's interesting is that I find that non-Christians often point to suffering and trials as proof that God is not loving. If God is really loving, why does he, and then fill in the blank, And what's interesting is that Paul says that suffering and trials are the context to experience God's love in deeper ways. He flips that. He says those trials and that suffering is an opportunity to experience God's love in deeper ways. I can testify the fact that I've experienced God's love and God's presence most intensely I mean, very tangibly, some very tangible experiences of God's love and presence in my life in the times of the most intense trials. The most intense darknesses, dark series of seasons of darkness were the times that God showed up and his love was poured out and I experienced it in its most intense way. And that's what Paul says here. So I would invite you to let God love you in your trials by choosing to continue to trust him in them. Meaning, don't cut and run. Don't cut and run. You cut and run and you miss out on the opportunity to experience God's presence and his love in ways that are amazing. Fourth and finally, the Spirit assures us of God's love through God's people. The Spirit assures us of God's love through God's people. Think about it. God's people often will speak words of love and encouragement to you. They can be sources of hope. They can be sources where you hear God's love being spoken to you. They can pray with you. They can communicate the assurance of his love and and bring tremendous encouragement and sense of God's presence to you. So all I'm suggesting to you is that if you want to be sure of God's love, then here's yet another way. Let God love you through God's people. Get very tangible here. If this size gathering is the only thing that you expose yourself to and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, 
then what you're basically doing is you're missing out on the possibilities of God loving you in ways that are much more tangible, meaning that having face-to-face conversations with people, and you might be that source of love for people as well. So that is a reason to be part of something smaller, whether it's a conversation over coffee afterwards, hang out in the plaza, hang out and meeting people, talking to people. It's in those experiences where you can open yourself up and you can say, God, I, I need assurance of your love today. Would you please direct somebody in my path just to encourage me? Or you may be that person on that day to do that. But you see, the Spirit of God wants to use us in each other's lives to bring that assurance of God's love. So you and I can be sure, in summary, of God's love in two key ways. One is public. The other is more private and personal. One is historical. The other is more present and ongoing. One is objective. And the other is more more subjective and experiential. But we need both. That's what Paul says. We need both to be spiritually healthy, to develop and to grow. And I'm suggesting to you that this is a vital foundation to be able to take the beautiful risk to love God and to love our neighbor. So my question I leave you with is, will you let God love you? Will you let God love you? The reason why I bring that question to you, you're like, well, that's, so dumb. that's such a dumb question. No, it's not, actually. Because Jesus, when he was going around on this earth, he, would, he asked people, he says, do you want to be made well? He had the ability to do that. But there is something about the human willingness or the human desire or receptivity to name it as a key component. You understand what I'm saying? There's something about us saying, yes, I want that. Will you let God love you? And maybe there's something to be said for you and for me saying to God, I want to let you love me. I want to let you love me. And maybe that will open up ways that he shows you, I really want to too. I really want to. And maybe ways that we need to let ourselves be loved by God. He's ready. And he's waiting. Please join me in prayer. Father, I ask that you would take the words that I have attempted to communicate as representative of you and as words that have represented you faithfully and truly that you would use them, be pleased to use them by your spirit to communicate your love, your character, your presence. And Father, I ask for my brothers and sisters sitting here that you might bring us into greater freedom, that you would free us from the bondage of performance, free us from the bondage of, of pursuing all the identity markers that our culture says are vital and important. And that in place of those that we would simply receive your love. Knowing that you have done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And in that you have delighted in us. And you continue to delight in us. 
I just find it to be amazing that you would do this for me, for us. But I and we want to thank you. Thank you so much for the gift. Thank you so much for your love. In your name, amen.